Welcome to Cover 4. If you're a Section 4 football fan, this is your podcast. I'm Coach Smith, and I'll be your host. Our guest today is analyst Tim Burney. Tim is the founder of Tyler County Sports Report, Valley Sports Report, and newly um, minted Southern Tier Sports Report. Welcome, Tim. Coach, nice to be here. Great. We're glad to have you back. You did a great job last time, and we're looking forward to it this time. Tim's going to cover the Section 4 football season preview, specifically with the Tioga County teams. Go ahead, Tim. Kick it off. Well, let's start with uh, Spencer Burnett and Kander, or as we lovely refer to them as Spec. Um, you know, they're the only eight-man football team in section in uh, Tioga County. Uh, and they should be pretty good. They had a nice season last year. I think they'll compete again this year for Section 4 title. Uh, they lost seven players to graduation. One of them had missed the whole season with injury. So, you know, they're down six guys this year from last year's team. But they bring back uh, senior quarterback, uh, dual threat quarterback, big play guy, Nick Thomas. Uh, he's got a senior running back along with him and Hunter Haynes. Fast, athletic uh, for the eight-man game where there's a lot less – uh, traffic to deal with. He's physical enough. Uh, then there's senior tight end, uh, Devin Beach. Talk about a big physical kid, a real stud on, line, on the linebacker side of the ball. Um, when he catches the ball at tight end, a lot of yards after contact. Uh, interesting note about him, he practiced all summer long with Waverly, both football and wrestling, um, and at the last minute ended up back at Spencer Renat and Cantor. Uh, so he'll be, a, he'll be a big weapon for them. Uh, up front, they have uh, Elliot Walter back, also a senior, both two-way lineman, big kid, athletic, about 250 pounds, uh, real hoss on the offensive line. They have sophomore Jack Terraberry back, too. He started every game as a freshman, very athletic, uh, big playmaker for him. Uh, I, think, I think they'll be very, very competitive in the, in the eight-man football league. Uh, I think they open up their first game. Uh, I, I should have looked it up before, right before we came on, but their first game, I think is going to be their toughest one. I think there's it. And they open up, they open up the season with Unitigo Franklin, probably be one of their toughest games on their schedule. Uh, but I expect them to do some big things this year. They're going to be fun to watch. Let's get into the uh, 11 man football. We'll start on the Eastern part of the County where the, we go. Uh, the Indians graduated 20, 22 seniors from a 35 man roster. And boy, that's tough. Uh, they've got a, a handful of kids back this year. Um, not obviously not much experience back. Their numbers are a little lower than they have been the last few years. Uh, you know, they lost their quarterback and Nick Wazlin running back and Cam Bundy. Uh, they lost seven two-way linemen. You know, obviously not all starters, but they all played a lot. So you're talking about rebuilding your entire offensive defensive line uh, in class B. That's a tall, tall task. Now, uh, Coach Berkler's done a nice job up there. You know, Wego's been very, very competitive the last few years uh, during his tenure. Uh, but, boy, 22 seniors to replace is a, is a mountain to climb. So that's going to be interesting to see how the Indians fare this year. Uh, we'll move on over to uh, Newark Valley. Now, this is a Class D school, and they graduated 20 seniors. So they're in a similar boat, except – that they've got a few more of their key players back. Uh, 
senior quarterback, Mike Wandell is back. He threw for more than a thousand yards last year. He's a dangerous running threat. Uh, they've got uh, running back, uh, Landon Spoonhour's back. Uh, let's see. They've got uh, Andrew Waterman back, Max Flesher back. All these guys uh, carried the ball. They spread it around a lot last year. So a lot of these guys got some experience. Uh, they did graduate uh, quite a bit up front, but they've got a couple of their starting linemen back uh, and guys that played a lot. Uh, they've done a real nice job up there. The coaching staff up there has been tremendous. This program won a state title, I believe, in 2016. Uh, they knocked on the door in 2017. They've been very competitive. Uh, last year, I, I still say last year, um, if it had been a full fall season, a real fall season, uh, Tioga Newark Valley would have played for a Section 4 Class D championship, and I think the winner wins a state title. Now, Newark Valley beat them uh, in the regular season last year in the spring. Uh, things might have been a little different the second time or not, and they might have been different if they played in the fall, not the spring. I know Tioga had a couple seniors that didn't come out that would have helped them. Newark Valley probably had the same thing. But anyway, getting back to this year, uh, I don't think Class D teams should sleep on Newark Valley. Um, I think with 20 players lost, they may struggle to hang with Tioga. But Tioga and Newark Valley, anytime they suit them up, you never know what's going to happen. So it'll be later in the year. So Newark Valley's got a chance to, to build some of these coach up, some of these young kids who haven't had the experience. And I expect by the time they head into uh, Haggerty Field later this year, that it'll be a battle. So let's come uh, into the Valley. We'll, we'll talk talk with about Waverly first. They actually opened the season with a week zero game Friday night. They beat East Syracuse Manoa 31 to seven. The only score they gave up was on an 85 yard or 80 yard kickoff return. So defensively, they pitched a shutout uh, coming into the season. Coach Miller thought that was a strength. They've got a lot of experience on the defensive side of the ball, uh, starting on the inside linebackers with Caden Tursick and uh, DJ Shaw. Uh, they've got good experience in the secondary. Uh, their quarterback, Joe Tommaso, and their one of the receivers, Jay Piper, are, are back deep uh, defensively for them, uh, what uh, Jason Miller calls a, a safety net. Uh, but they, boy, they, they got to the ball. They put hats on the ball all night long. Uh, they, they actually played, he said, for the first time in the 20 years that he and the defensive coordinator, Dave Shaw, have coached together, that they actually played man-to-man. -man. Uh, so basically allowed them to put – uh, five men in the box challenge East Syracuse Manoa, who runs this air raid offense, to run the ball and throw in the seven-man coverage, basically. And it worked. You know, he he noted afterwards, he goes, I don't think we can do that against Section 4 ground games, but it worked in this instance. Uh, and they look good. They, like I said, fly into the ball, uh, sure tacklers, and they hit hard. You know, offensively, uh, they threw the ball a lot, but Waverly offenses tend to do that. Tommaso looked really good, strong arm. He's grown. He's about 6'1 now. You know, as an eighth grader when he started, he was about 5'8, five, 5'9. Five, uh, so he and he's got a he's got a strong arm and it keeps getting stronger. He's got a lot of weapons on the outside. Sophomore Jay Pfeiffer uh, looks to be the most dangerous of the bunch. I had six catches for 161 yards and a touchdown. Uh, East Syracuse Manoa was flagged six times for defensive pass interference. And at least four times it was Pfeiffer getting behind the defender and basically having to be dragged down to avoid a long play. Uh, they've got a big tailback in sophomore Gage Tedesco, big physical back, and a couple other kids that can run the ball. 
their offensive line, they return uh, five guys, four, four starters, three or four starters, and all five guys had experience. But their biggest, the biggest weakness they may have is up front because they have nothing behind them experience-wise. So if their offensive line stays healthy, they, they could be a very dangerous team. Uh, they have depth everywhere else on the field, I think, to, to cover up any injuries. But the offensive line needs to stay healthy for them, at least especially in the early going, while they, until they can coach up some of these younger kids uh, in case there's an injury later in the season. I, I uh, In my preseason uh, crystal ball, as I call it, I forecast Waverly as a 500 team. And after watching them Friday night, I'm pretty sure I was off on that one. They, they look pretty good. Um, you know, I think they'll have a tough game. Odessa Montour, Watkins Glen, uh, the merge program up there, I think is going to surprise some people this year. I think that's going to be a tough ball game for them in their division with Whitney point dropping to eight man football that brings Shenango Valley from the uh, class C division with Shenango Forks and Susquehanna Valley. They shifted them into the Waverly uh, division with Dryden and Odessa Montour Watkins Glen. So obviously Waverly Shenango Valley now is a divisional game when they play in week two, and that'll be a key game for Waverly. Uh, I don't know what Shenango Valley has back this year. I know uh, they had a stretch there where they were really tough the last couple of years. It's been a little thin numbers wise, I think. Um, but Shenango Valley always plays Waverly tough. They seem to have had their number at times in the past. But the I think Waverly, there, what's oh, I'm that? Sorry. The coach there at Shenango Valley, uh, Nick Sereni, he's got that program on the right track. He's a good young coach. And you can see it in the student athletes. Not only that, you know, they, they really turned a program around his first year. I forget how many wins they had, but I think they had one or zero wins that first, the year prior to that, they may have had a couple, but he's definitely got them on the, on the right track and he's developing a, a true program there through the lower levels. Good. And that'll be, you know, so that'd be a good test for Waverly with the uh, Snangle Valley and the Odessa Montour, Watkins Glen uh, uh, merge team. So, but I, I think they win their division. Uh, which is key for them if they want to get back to the finals because, you know, if you finish second in that division, you play Shenango Forks in the semifinals. Nobody really wants that. Uh, so so I think Waverly is uh, going to be a little better than I, than I thought they were going to be this year, um, perhaps a lot better. Like I said, they they look crisp on offense and very good on defense. And, and East Syracuse Manoa, according to uh, the people I know in Section 3, is one of the top Class A schools up there, and Waverly dominated them for lack of a better word. So now this brings us to our fifth and final team in Tioga County, uh, Tioga. They were five and one in the spring, only loss at Newark Valley. Uh, they won the, in the fall. They won eight of the last nine section four titles. They were eight They're nine and oh in uh, state quarterfinal games. Unfortunately, one and eight in the semis, but they did win a state title in 2015. Uh, this team you know, I'm not one for anybody that reads our site and reads my work. I'm not one for hyperbole, but I honestly believe this Tioga team may be the best one that Nick Aiello's had and at least the most dangerous offensive team he's had uh, And their athletic defense. I mean, they're going to fly to the ball. You know, I, I wrote it here a couple months ago and I, I firmly believe that they are the team to beat in New York state. I think they'll win a state title. Uh, it all starts with senior tailback Emmett Wood. You know, in 2015, Jesse Manuel graduated with 8,550 yards and 123 touchdowns, which left him second all-time in the state in rushing yards and third all-time in the state in touchdowns. And I thought that he was the best running back I'd ever seen around here, you know, in my coverage areas anyway. Uh, 
And I didn't think that those numbers would ever be touched. Well, then along comes Emmett Wood. And Emmett Wood, if they had had a full season last year, if he had played his, say, 12 games like they normally do, but let's go back even 10 games, he'd be sitting on 6,000-plus yards heading into the season, needing 2,500 yards to top Jesse Manuel after having 2,500 yards plus in both his sophomore and junior year. So, I mean, the numbers he's put up there uh, are astounding. Uh, historical. I mean, you look at it, he, he'll, he'll never catch manual now after losing those four to six games last year, but he's going to push 7,500 yards in three and a half seasons. So, and, and the scary part about this Tioga team is that they've got maybe three other backs that would start on three quarters or more of the teams in section four. I mean, Gavin Godfrey, Isaac Peterson, they brought in a youngster. Uh, he transferred into the school district this year. Um, outstanding wrestler turns out he's a pretty good football player too Asaman Duncanson from uh, Spencer Benetton so he's another weapon you know and you know the critics in the past have said Tioga well you know you get into the big game you can't just run people the ball down people's throat well this year they've got a sophomore quarterback uh, Caden Bellis who really can throw the football nice touch uh, sees the field Nick Iole loves how smart he is at quarterback uh and to go along with that, he's got two senior wide receivers coming back and two sophomore wide receivers coming in who are just as good as the seniors and will push them for playing time. So he's got, you know, they've got four running backs and four wide receivers um, that are just top notch with a quarterback that can throw the football, can run the option. They're offensively, they're scary. And then you put the deep on the defensive side of the ball, you put all those athletes onto the defensive side of the ball uh, with some, with the ability to, to get after the football and get hats to the football. I think they're going to be very good defensively too. One question mark about this team is the offensive line. They bring back two or three starters. You know, the third one played quite a bit. So say they've got three kids on their line with experience, two with very little experience. Um, this is something class D schools face all the time. Tioga regularly faces this. Uh, the one thing I will say is they've got three freshmen who are as big as anybody on uh, out of the upperclassmen. And I don't know if they're ready to be varsity players yet, but they, there's a fallback for them in case they are. That said, um, like I said, Tioga's done this time and time and time again. You know, just like Waverly, good coaches, good programs. These kids know what is expected of them. And by the time they take the field, they've been coached up and they're ready to play. And I don't have any doubt that in Waverly and Tioga um, this year, because they've got so much back that both these teams are going to are going to contend. You know, Waverly's got a big roadblock in its way. It's Nangle Forks. Tioga is the big roadblock in Class D, uh, especially with Newark Valley's graduation losses this year. So I just, uh, I love the looks of this Tioga team. Um, you know, I know it's talk about putting a target on their back by saying they're going to win a state title, but you know, I I'll be shocked if they don't get to the post or, you know, into the state playoffs and I'll, and I'll be surprised if anybody beats them once they're there. I mean, you think about it, you know, these class D schools, uh, 
climber Sherman Panama is now up in class C, but they had graduated everybody anyway after 2019. Um, and how many schools in 2019 were it would have this kind of postseason experience and have that many of them back? Because Tioga's got eight or 10 seniors that played a lot on that 2019 team that got to the, that lost 28, 27 to CSP in the state semis, you know? So I, I just don't see how many teams in the state can match up with them, not only athletically, but with the big game experience they have. So I think that's a big advantage. Yeah. With uh, you take, we'll take just Tioga, for example, they have so many uh, uh, student athletes in a ball handling positions and, and maybe they are a little, little bit um, inexperienced on the line, if you will. But what good coaches I've, I've seen from a defensive perspective will do in those situations, they'll load up the line. Maybe you'll put your, your big uh, two studs on the left-hand side at guard and tackle and maybe throw in, take the tight end out, put another tackle type of a body in there, or they could run on balanced lines. And sometimes defenses don't catch up with that stuff until it's too late. So you can do those kind of things too. It's almost right, like running a half half uh, line offense. But uh, I uh, think that that's, you're right. That's the thing. In the past, Ilo's done exactly what you said. And then he'll take those two guys, run them twice at left guard and left tackle, and on third down, he'll shift them over to the right side. And the guys, will, you know, they'll flip flop the line, and the defenses may not, you know. So they, yeah, that's the type of stuff they'll do, and they've done in the past. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, once you – go ahead. I was going to say, I don't know if you've touched on this with anybody else you've talked to yet, but one common thread in every sport, not just football, but especially um, talking with Nick Aiello and Jason Miller um, as much as I do, they said that, you know, they would have loved to have played football in the fall last year, but the fact they played in the spring was beneficial to them because it allowed them to play six games in the spring – then roll right into seven on seven with just a small break for the kids to play baseball. They rolled into seven on seven and then boom, it's August and they've got camp. So these kids have been playing football since March 1st. And I think that's why Waverly came out as sharp as they were on uh, Friday night, uh, because, you know, I don't know that every program does it the way Waverly and Tyler does, you know, and I, I can tell you that the, both those coaches had their kids playing seven on seven and working out. And, and I know a lot of programs do that The successful ones do. Um, but I saw firsthand uh, how beneficial it really was to them Friday night. Cause they look good. And I have no doubt that Tioga is going to come out looking sharp on Friday night too. The other thing too, these, these young student athletes, probably 14 or 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, their battery recharges really quick. And if they're uh football field rats, you know, similar to a analogy with baseball or football or basketball gym rat, they just want to play, you know, and the more you play, the the better you're going to get couple that with excellent coaching, making sure you're doing the right things and you start repping the right things that that's why they're successful. It's just not a, and I think that the, a lot of your coaches took advantage of this. It's just like a, a spring football at the collegiate level. You know, they, they run the spring game, but these guys had, I think, like you touched on, an advantage because it, it, it carried right on through. They didn't really have a lot of downtime. And playing another sport is not a bad thing. That, that helps with, you know, your hand-eye coordination, the dexterity, 
your, your, your mind, you're working things differently, approaching things differently. So I think all that coupled together is what makes this particular fall really exciting for those teams that took advantage of those situations you talk about. Absolutely. And, you know, you touched a little bit on, on uh, coaching staffs and I, and I've been blessed uh, in the Valley here with Waverly and Tioga ILO and Miller do such a great job. And you look into Tioga County, the rest of Tioga County, Verkler's done a great job at, at Oigo and the, the Newark Valley coaching staff, regardless of who's been the head coach has done a great job up there. And, you know, spec Mike Chafee has done a nice job the last few years trying to hold that program together. You know, they shifted the eight man football and they had a great season last year. And um, I think they'll have another good one this year. Rumor has it they want to get back to 11-man next year. We'll see where the numbers are at. I don't, I don't know that the numbers were big enough to do that. They, they already made a plan they were going to be 8-man this year. But, I, you know, I'm not sure the numbers are there for this year if they had wanted to go to 11. But hopefully by next year they can get back to 11 if that's what they want to do. I think 8-man's here to stay, obviously. And um, I'm excited. I haven't seen an 8-man football game yet, but I'm excited to get in my first game this year at some point, whether it's – uh, up at Spencer or maybe up to Notre Dame or Edison. So yeah, I haven't seen it in person. I've watched on YouTube and uh, there was another station. Some of the schools had their own uh, media feeds that you could watch those games on. It's pretty interesting and it's uh, it, it heightens the need for skills like blocking and tackling the basic skills. You have to be really good at those. There's a lot of tackling and blocking out in space. And if you can't do that, you know, especially on a regulation field, which is right. you know, 120 yards, including the end zone and 53 and a third wide. But if you were on a regular eight player field, which is like 40 by 80, it would have been a little bit different, but you still, you got to be in shape. It's a, it's a high, uh, especially you think about some of these officials, a lot of our officials are, are getting up in age and it's, they don't have a lot of young officials coming in. So the cardio demand is different in an eight player yeah. game, especially on a regular uh, regulation size field. So I can, I can feel for those guys. You mentioned numbers a little bit. I just want to uh, share again with our listeners, the numbers throughout section four, you've got four in the double a classification, three in a four in B and now eight in C and eight in nine and eight in D with Whitney point. Uh, going about down to the 12 player and the 12 player right now is at 13 teams. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, you know, to me, the, the only thing that bothers me about that is I know last year, a couple of those teams had 25 and 30 kids on their eight man, on their eight man rosters, you know, seems to me that's enough to play 11 man. I think 19, if I'm, recall correctly is the cutoff i mean you have to i think it's a minimum of 19 for the 11 okay. player uh, yeah. whitney whitney point had 15 uh throughout the first couple of weeks of their camp this year and then they just decided to go down uh not i shouldn't say down but decided yeah. to play the in the eight player classification yeah don't get me wrong i'm not knocking eight man football and there is a need for it obviously if you want to keep the game going um but i know last year you know that people had told me they went to a couple games and there was, you know, one of the schools up that, you know, North of us had 34 players in the uniform and another one had 27 or 28. So that doesn't seem quite right to me, but again, I don't make the rules. Sure. You know, just uh, to me, there's a line somewhere that has to be, you know, if you have a certain amount of kids and you want to play football, you know, having those kind of numbers, how are they playing? You know, how do you get 34 kids into an eight man game? 
Right. That's the first time I've heard that uh, that type of scenario. I've I've heard the unfortunate situation where you have uh, just enough student athletes to field an eight player team. And now you're looking at practice. You can't even run a half line offense and defense hardly in practice. So that makes it tough. But you're right. It is. It's an opportunity to play. uh, and And it is very exciting. One thing I will let our listeners know, we talked a little bit about this on our podcast dedicated to the eight-player classification, is sometimes you get watching those games as a fan or either a parent or a fan, and you're watching the game, an eight-player, I'm sorry, yeah, an eight-player classification game through the eyes of 11-player football, and it's different. Uh, it's as if it's a different game and it's also the basics are the same blocking and tackling, those kind of things. But when you get down towards uh, say the end of the game and starting to get some of the other student athletes in the game, it's different because if you're up 14 or 21 points, that could be literally two snaps right? in, in an eight player game. And it's not uncommon that you can have two snaps and have two scores and, and it's right, right back to, you know, tie ball game or, or you may lead. So there's a lot of other dynamics that come into play with the eight player classification, but bottom line that student athletes get to play and think about if you were at a school and they were talking about getting rid of football and then they start saying, well, maybe we can play in the eight player classification. That is like Christmas morning. When you hear that, you know, it's the same, same kind of thing. So Listen, Tim, you, again, did a great job in the, in the preseason uh, preview. Uh, we really appreciate that. And also what you do uh, with your stuff there on all the uh, sports reports that you have out. What I'll do is I'll make sure that those links are in the show notes so our listeners can get to and hear uh, and read up on your stuff. I read your articles quite frequently. And uh, those are no joke articles. Those are deep, in-depth, lengthy good quality articles that kind of reminded me back when I went to school in Columbus, Ohio, I wasn't an Ohio state fan when I went out there, but I got, I read the newspaper, the Columbus dispatch and probably the, the size of our newspaper here locally was the whole section dedicated to the the Buckeyes. So I came back a a Buckeyes fan. You couldn't help it. But what I'm, I'm drawing the analogy that, you go uh, just as in depth as they did in, and it's not only football, you cover all the sports and you do a great job with that. And it's, it's really exciting for these student athletes, coaches, and parents to look at that say, Oh, that's my son, my daughter, my aunt, my uncles, you know, are watching the game. It's all great stuff. So Tim, thanks for not only what you do for, for football in section four, but everything you do with sports in general. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks coach. Appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. And remember, tell your friends. Coach Smith says, visit Cover4.com and be the next fan up. In football and life, it's not where we line up, it's where we wind up. Thank you for listening to the Cover 4 podcast.